You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by the Complete Concussion Management Clinical Network. Are you suffering from a concussion? Concussion symptoms that just aren't getting better? Maybe you're in the wrong place. Maybe you're seeing the wrong healthcare professional. Visit completeconcussions.com slash find dash a dash clinic to find all of the local professionally trained concussion clinicians in your area. Each of our partnered clinics have gone through extensive training on concussion assessment, diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation, and will be able to quickly determine the root cause of your symptoms and work with you to develop a plan to get rid of them. If you don't know what's driving your symptoms, you can't ever hope to relieve them. Completeconcussions.com slash find a clinic. They have a 98% patient satisfaction rating and the net promoter score as judged by real patients is higher than Amazon, Netflix, and Apple. Completeconcussions.com slash find dash a dash clinic. You won't regret it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ask Concussion Doc episode number 80. We're just chucking right along. It's a lot of episodes. So today we are going to talk about POTS. Not the ones you cook with, but P-O-T-S, which stands for Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. POTS is a form of orthostatic intolerance. Orthostatic is just a fancy way to say that it's something that is exacerbated or increased with standing or changes in position. So going from a supine or lying position to an upright position, uh, if that provokes symptoms, that's usually referred to as an orthostatic condition. Uh, or orthostatic intolerance means you're intolerant of being upright uh, or standing. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of different types of orthostatic intolerance. Uh, and there's kind of a category of these these that fall into what's called dysautonomias, meaning that it's a dysregulation or dysfunction in the autonomic nervous system. Um POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome is one of these kind of dysautonomia type um, phenomenons. Another common orthostatic intolerance is what's called postural orthostatic hypotension, which is where your blood pressure drops when you stand up. This is commonly associated with people who uh, will faint um, or you know you stand up and you get kind of that lightheaded feeling of Ooh, I'm I'm feeling lightheaded like I'm gonna pass out. That's that's um, uh, sometimes postural orthostatic hypotension. Um, you can feel dizzy, lightheaded, all these types of symptoms that can come on with that. Your autonomic nervous system is um, there's two sides of it. There's the parasympathetic and the sympathetic system. Your parasympathetic system is your rest and digest, your kind of chill mode uh, system. Your sympathetic system is 
oh my God, there's a bear chasing me and that's your fight or flight. Do I turn around and fight this bear or do I try to run as fast as I can? So that's your, that's your uh, fight or flight symptom system. That is your sympathetic nervous system. Now these two systems are generally fairly balanced with each other. So when one goes up, the other one drops and vice versa. Uh, and usually there's certain things that will trigger it. So like a bear chasing you will, will drop your parasympathetic, increase your sympathetic and give you a shot of adrenaline to allow you to go and do whatever you need to do uh, to either get away or save your life from you know the attack that's coming. Now people that have dysautonomias or dysregulations in their autonomic nervous system have um, they're not good at controlling when it's up and when it's down. So uh, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, um, tachycardia is having an unusually high heart rate. So having a heart rate that goes from when you're lying down and resting, if that goes up by 40 or more beats per minute upon standing, or you have a sustained elevated heart rate above 120 beats while standing, that is what's considered postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Now this can lead to a whole bunch of potential symptoms uh, that overlap a lot with concussion. Okay, so your brain blood flow is highly regulated. So your brain likes to have a consistent amount of blood flow all the time. So if there's changes in your systemic circulation, meaning that if you have changes in your blood pressure in your body, if your blood pressure goes up or goes down, your brain still likes to try and do what it can to maintain that same amount of blood flow. If you're not getting that same amount of blood flow, it can cause these types of symptoms like lightheadedness. Or if somebody does faint, the purpose of fainting is so that your brain and heart become at the same level so that gravity can allow blood to flow into your brain and at which point you will regain consciousness and um, generally will be, will be okay from that. But that's a protective mechanism actually is, is to faint. So when your brain isn't getting the blood that it needs, um, it might feel an increase in symptomatic, you know, symptoms of, of all different kinds. And this is something that happens in concussion patients uh, who don't even have POTS, but one of the causes of persistent concussion symptoms can be these blood flow abnormalities that are related to this autonomic dysregulation. So your brain vasculature doesn't respond as well as it should. Your heart doesn't respond as well as it should to uh, changes in, you know, physical exertion, uh, changes in mental exertion, and all these different things. So you might start to have an increase in symptoms as soon as you start pushing yourself a little bit. Now this can be related to a blood flow issue, uh, which can be also related to autonomic dysregulation. Now POTS is kind of a different beast on this. POTS is when you have such a dysregulation in your autonomic nervous system that the mechanisms that control heart rate and blood pressure are kind of out of whack. And so as soon as you stand up, you have this increase in, in heart rate and it stays sustained. And so you're not, it's not an efficient way um, to, to be. Um, so symptoms can fluctuate in patients with POTS. They can come and go over time. Sometimes patients with POTS will feel good for a period of time uh, and then, then, it'll, then it can come back. Um, but generally the treatment for POTS isn't a cure necessarily. It's basically a way to reduce the symptoms of POTS. Not to say that since you have POTS that you can never get rid of it, but we don't actually have any type of cure. We just have these uh, modalities to help you live better 
with the condition. Now, who gets POTS? POTS can affect anyone really, but the majority of people that do get POTS are women of childbearing age uh, from puberty onwards. It is still fairly rare. Uh, it's listed as about uh, 0.1 to 0.2% of the population, and it can come on after illness, it can come on spontaneously, it can come on during and after pregnancy, uh, or it can come on after trauma, and in particular, one that is often cited is head trauma. So head trauma can be the inciting event to having POTS. Um, there was a study that was done looking at um, POTS and 11% of patients with POTS cited concussion as being the initiation of their POTS syndrome. All right. What can also cause POTS is significant inactivity. So what did we used to do with concussion patients? We used to tell them to lie around in a dark room and basically wait until their symptoms go away. Well, if inactivity causes POTS, how do we know how many of these cases weren't what we call iatrogenic, meaning the treatment we were giving them was actually the cause of the POTS that they now suffer from? This is why we're taking, one of the reasons why we're taking a change in how we manage concussions, because exercise and being active in the early stages after concussion is actually more beneficial to your recovery, and this may be one protective reason why. So symptoms, what are the symptoms of POTS? Now, keep in mind, as I read this list, I got this from, I believe, just the Cleveland Clinic or Mayo or something like that, just a list of, of symptoms of POTS, just to give you an exhaustive list. Keep in mind, these are very nonspecific, meaning that they overlap with pretty much a million different other conditions. Um, and concussion, if you read this list, a lot of these symptoms are going to sound a lot like concussion. So I guarantee that most of you listening that have a concussion right now are going to think, I have this. But you may, you may not. It's still only about 15 to 20% of patients um, in some of these studies that actually qualify or classify as having POTS that will have um, symptoms that look like POTS. Okay? So symptoms are high or low blood pressure, high or low heart rate, uh, having a racing heart rate, chest pain, dizziness, or lightheadedness, especially on standing, prolonged standing in one position or long walks, so feeling dizzy as you do that, uh, fainting or near fainting, exhaustion or fatigue, abdominal pain and bloating, nauseousness, temperature deregulation, so either feeling really hot or really cold, nervous, jittery feeling, forgetfulness, trouble focusing, having brain fog, blurred vision, headaches, uh, and body pain or aches, may feel flu-like, neck pain, uh, insomnia and frequent awakenings from sleep, chest pain, racing heart during sleep, excessive sweating, shakiness, tremors, especially with adrenaline surges, discoloration of the hands and feet, exercise intolerance, meaning inability to get your heart rate up or exercise without feeling symptomatic, excessive or lack of sweating, and diarrhea and or constipation. So pretty much anything that you might be feeling could fall into that category, which means that it's very non-specific, meaning that it overlaps with so many conditions that we, it, we have a hard time necessarily nailing down the diagnosis of POTS unless there's some other telltale signs that might lead us in that direction. So... The diagnosis, because of how 
non-specific those symptoms are, like I said, is quite difficult to make. And often patients will go years without actually getting an accurate diagnosis because all the stuff they're feeling could be GI related, could be blood related, could be cardiac related. So they end up going through a battery and battery and battery of tests before somebody who really knows this condition or has heard of this condition might suggest that they be tested for. And because it's fairly uncommon, it tends to be kind of lower on the list of, of possible suggestions. The gold standard diagnostic test is what's called a tilt table test. TTT, tilt table test. And what they do is strap you to a table. Um, sometimes your arms are out, sometimes they're at your sides, and they basically, you're lying down and you're strapped in and they're measuring your heart rate and your blood pressure. And then they quickly elevate you up to a uh, upright position and they monitor your heart rate and your blood pressure. And they can keep you there for 10 minutes or even up to an hour to monitor what your heart rate does. Does your heart rate jump by that 30 or 40 beat mark? Does it stay elevated above 120 beats with an upright posture? Um, and the other thing they're looking for is, does your blood pressure essentially remain unchanged? Because there's two different conditions, right? There's postural orthostatic hypotension and then there's postural orthostatic tachycardia. So hypotension is a drop in blood pressure. So if we elevate you and we see a drop in blood pressure, your heart rate is gonna also elevate to accommodate for that drop in blood pressure. But that's not necessarily tachycardia because the tachycardia is the result of the drop in blood pressure. But if you elevate and your blood pressure stays relatively the same, but your heart rate jumps, that would be more indicative of postural orthostatic tachycardia. Does that make sense? I hope so. Okay, so Hayer and colleagues in 2006 found that up to 41% of pediatric concussion patients met the diagnostic criteria for POTS. There's another study I'm going to talk about in here by Cocorellis, and they found that it was about 15% of patients. So I think 40, 41 is probably a little bit high. 15% uh, seems more reasonable to me. Um, I've only had a handful of patients that uh, that we've picked this up on, um, so it's I think it's I think it's probably closer to that 15% mark. Okay, now um, because the the diagnostic you know criteria for this test is from you know changes in position and elevated and heart elevated heart rate without a reduction in blood pressure or a minimal reduction in blood pressure. Um, it's kind of one of those things that very few people are actually going to test for. I have picked this up during treadmill testing, and this is a lot of times where it gets picked up clinically uh, where you start to go, oh, geez, I wonder if this person has POTS. Uh, because you'll strap a heart rate monitor on your patient, and this is before we go and do the Buffalo treadmill test, because it's such a part of what we do at CCMI clinics for concussion rehab, we will potentially pick this up because we're putting a heart rate monitor on a patient. They're sitting in a resting position. We're don't, not necessarily getting them supine, but they're, we're getting their resting heart rate from a seated position. And then we'll walk over to the treadmill test and all of a sudden I'll see somebody's heart rate now, which was at 70, is all of a sudden now sitting at 135. And we haven't even done anything. We've just basically taken a short walk over to the treadmill. And so that will kind of tip me off. Um, and so I'll watch that patient, I'll put them on the treadmill and if they fail that treadmill test early, meaning that they are basically exercise intolerant, the next time I see them, I'm going to be now on a higher lookout for 
pots. Now, one thing you can do clinically without having the fancy tilt table is what's called an active standing test. Okay, so again, I'm not promoting this information for patients because this should always be done under the direction of a healthcare professional, but for healthcare professionals out there that are interested, check out the active standing test. Basically what you do is you have a patient lie supine on their back for about five minutes. You're measuring their heart rate and their blood pressure or uh, as their supine and then you get them to stand up and you want them just to stand up for 10 minutes and then every minute you're taking their heart rate and their blood pressure as they stand there and those readings are what's going to tell you whether or not this person has POTS. Now, if this is just a screening test, you still are required then to get a tilt table test to confirm that diagnosis because that's the gold standard. But this can really provide you with some clinical information that anyone can do with minimal equipment uh, in your office to be able to screen for a patient with POTS. So if, like I said, if we pick that up on somebody who's on their way to the treadmill and they fail that treadmill test early, if they pass the treadmill, then it's lower on my list because they're not necessarily exercise intolerant. They're able to get it up there. And the treatment for POTS is exercise. And if they're able to tolerate exercise while in an upright position, I generally just let them proceed with that because they're already far enough down the road that uh, they're doing they're doing quite well. So I won't necessarily go through with it unless they have ongoing symptoms and issues with it. So what you're looking for, like I said, in children 19 and under, you're looking for an increase from their supine heart rate to their standing heart rate of greater than 40 beat, beats per minute. So if you see a jump of greater than 40 beats per minute and their blood pressure remains fairly constant with a minimal change, you're looking at potentially POTS. Uh, if they're 20 years or older, you're looking for an increase of 30 or more beats. And no matter how old they are, if they have a sustained heart rate higher than 120, then it would be on your radar to do further investigation for this. Okay, one thing you should always keep in mind when you're looking at a patient that potentially has POTS is all the other things it could possibly be, right? This person may be anemic, this person uh, may have cardiac issues, this person um, may have a whole bunch of different things, so it's important to, to continuously try to rule out all the other things just to make sure that it's not something you know more serious uh, than, than POTS. So let's say you arrive at your diagnosis, how are we going to treat it? Um, the treatments, like I said, are not necessarily cures, but they're ways to help patients live with the symptoms uh, and reduce the symptom burden from a day-to-day -to, -day to help them try to live kind of more of a no more normal life. I'm going to go through a bit of a protocol. Um, this should be monitored, like I said, by a healthcare professional who's experienced in treating POTS patients. I will often refer my POTS patients out. I don't specialize in POTS. I'll be able to potentially pick it up, but I'm gonna refer that patient out. I'm not gonna be managing that POTS case necessarily, right? So you have to try and find the right person who has experience in dealing specifically with POTS because there's a full protocol to follow. Something that I would encourage you to look up is some research by Dr. Benjamin Levine. There's a protocol out there called the Levine Protocol for POTS. Um, this is where I gathered um, much of this information. And um, so I'm just gonna go through it with you here. But if you want further information, check out the Levine Protocol. There's all sorts of great information on sites like the Mayo Clinic, um, etc. So first thing is fluid intake. 
One of the potential causes of POTS is hypovolemia, meaning low blood volume. Increasing fluid and salt intake can increase blood volume and have a really profound effect on POTS. So somebody with POTS, the best thing you can do is start increasing your fluid intake to at least two to three liters of water a day. Two to three liters of water. And this doesn't mean getting up and chugging a liter of water at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. This means drinking a glass of water every couple hours throughout the day to try and hit your quota of two to three liters of water per day. The other thing is increasing sodium intake. Now, this should be done very gradually. You shouldn't just start hammering loads of salt you know, all at once, but again, should be monitored by a healthcare professional, and you should increase your salt intake anywhere from 3,000 up to 7,000 up to 10,000 milligrams of sodium per day. Now, to put this in perspective, what does that mean? Well, milligram, uh, 2,300 milligrams of sodium is about the equivalent of a teaspoon. So you're looking to get up to seven to 10,000. What the best way to do this and what Dr. Levine suggests uh, through his protocol is to put this into a bag at the start of the day. So you have your kind of daily quota and then you know how much is in there and then just sprinkle some on your food throughout the day to arrive at that daily quota. Like I said, don't have your patients do this all at once, but you can gradually increase this throughout the day. So that will increase blood volume and increase blood pressure and potentially counteract that tachycardia, especially if it's hypovolemic. Compression stockings, wearing compression stockings can help to increase venous return of blood back to the heart and that can improve your circulation and potentially also counteract the effects of POTS. Having a balanced diet, eating smaller meals throughout the day and avoiding uh, things like simple carbohydrates, which would spike your blood sugar levels and potentially create these fluctuations in blood sugar. So having kind of a balanced meal um, with a lot of good protein in it can keep your blood sugar stable and can again counteract some of the negative effects of POTS. Next, staying upright. So patients with POTS often obviously because of what happens to them when they're upright, they feel uncomfortable with being upright. One of the problems with going into a lying or recumbent position is that over time you actually become more deconditioned and make your condition worse, right? One of the inciting events of causing POTS can be prolonged rest and inactivity. So by you avoiding being upright because of how you feel, you actually make your condition worse in the long run. So what might feel good in the short term actually creates long-term loss, right? Short-term gain for long-term loss. And I think that goes with a lot of things, right? It's easy to eat, you know, the processed foods. It's cheaper, it's quicker, but in the long run, your health actually suffers, right? Whereas you know, preparing your own meals is time consuming and thing, but it's actually healthier in the long run, right? So a lot of things we do in life is short-term gain, but for long-term loss. So you need to flip that and say short-term loss for long-term gain. And what they recommend is to remain upright throughout the day and only go into a supine or recumbent position when you're ready to go to sleep. And it, part of Levine's protocol is he actually recommends that you elevate the bed the, the head of the bed, so you take the legs at the head of the bed and elevate them between four and 10 inches 
off the floor so that your head actually remains elevated throughout the night. Because what that does is it keeps you elevated um, and it keeps your blood having to circulate and it kind of helps to regulate things and keep your um, keep things in, in check. So important, right? Because as every time you go supine, you, you're potentially setting yourself back. So by sleeping like this, you're potentially negating that, that issue. And finally, the best exercise or the best medicine known to man is exercise. Um, so this may take a while for people. So those that have POTS that say I have been exercising, but it's been taking me forever. The typical protocols for POTS are anywhere between three and six months just to kind of get through the initial you know protocols to be able to get that heart rate up to any significant degree the first thing before you start any type of training protocol you're going to have to figure out you know your 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 training zone and there's some heart rate calculations that have to be made uh it's a little bit complicated so i'll probably have to do some sort of instagram post on it or something so that it's it's there in um in a written format so that you can actually check it out. Um, I might actually do a blog post on this topic just to have that information there. Um, but the first thing you do is you determine what your max heart rate is. Now to calculate max heart rate, it's 220 minus age in years. So if you're 20 years old, your max heart rate would be 20. If you're 30, your max heart would be 190, so on and so on. So it's 220 minus your age in years. Then you wanna determine your heart rate reserve which is your maximum heart rate, which is a 220 minus your age, minus your supine resting heart rate. So when you're lying on your back, what's your heart rate at complete rest? Your lowest heart rate achieved at complete rest is your resting heart rate. Then your max heart rate is 220 minus your age. So you take your max heart rate and subtract your supine resting heart rate, and then you will get your heart rate reserve. You multiply your heart rate reserve by 75%, and that will get you your maximal steady state heart rate. So once you kind of get bumped up, your steady state heart rate is basically 75% of your, um, your um, heart rate reserve. Um, then what you do from that is you subtract your, um, you, or sorry, you take another 75% off of your maximal steady state range, and that now gives you what's called your base rate. And your base rate is where you start your exercise protocol on. Now the protocol for POTS is essentially three days of cardio with weight training interspersed between those days. So let's say you go Monday, Wednesday, Friday of cardio, you're gonna do Tuesday, Thursday with weights. The cardio should be anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes at your base rate. Now because patients with POTS have trouble being in upright positions, Typically, the recommendation for the first three months or so is to be in more supine positions. So things like swimming, rowing, um, recumbent cycling, okay, those are all things that you're in somewhat of a supine or recumbent position and is easier to tolerate for that because now you're starting to build your uh, exercise tolerance in a position that is comfortable and achievable for you. The next few months, then you graduate into upright cycling, maybe an elliptical and a treadmill with no incline on it. After that, then you can progress into a treadmill with an incline on it, okay? And your, your ranges of heart rate, you've started at your base rate, but you're gradually progressing into maximal steady state range and even higher as you get more and more into it. 
So exercise protocols for patients are only as good as the compliance that they have towards it, right? It depends on how bad you want to get better, right? Anyone can provide you with an exercise protocol, but if you're not going to follow that exercise protocol, you're not going to have the results of it. So like anything, if you have an infection and I give you an antibiotic and you don't take that antibiotic and you wonder why you still have an infection, you can only be mad at yourself. So any, as anything in life goes, you're going to be uncomfortable with this because it's a challenge, because it's pushing you to where you're kind of you know uncomfortable. And so you have to kind of get comfortable with the feeling of being uncomfortable, right? Like being upright throughout the day, uh, trying to eat healthy meals, trying to get a good night's sleep, trying to drink three liters of water a day, trying to increase your salt intake. Um, okay, so as with anything in life, like, you know, success, you know, starting a company, it depends on how much you stick with it and how bad you want it. Uh, and that's going to be the determining factor whether or not you get better. All right. The treatment is not a cure, but it's a way to help minimize your day-to-day -day symptoms. The example that I've used before in previous episodes is my daughter's cashew allergy. We have to give her little bits of cashew every single day, and over time, we increase the amount of little cashew bits we're giving her. So there's a solution. She's now up to 45 times. 45 times her original dose. So we started down here with this, and now she's taking 45 times her original dose every single day. And we're only halfway there. So she's gonna be up to, I don't even know how many times dose by the time we're done this thing, because every time we go in, we, they double her dose. So it's exponentially becoming more and more and more. Here's the kicker. It's not a cure. This does not cure her but it exposes her immune system over time in a safe way to the things she's allergic to. So that in the future, if she comes across some food that has it in there, her immune system doesn't attack her and she doesn't go into anaphylaxis. But she has to take, after she's done this protocol, which is six months to a year long, depending on how long you take to get through it. After she's done this protocol, she has to eat cashews every single day of her life to maintain her level of immunity so that she does her immune system doesn't react right every single day she'll have to do this now this is the same thing for patients with pots if you do an exercise protocol and then you stop you are going to lose the gains that you had so this is not a treatment or a cure right? This is something that will allow you to, if you keep up with it and stick with it, allow you to have a, a, a minimized amount of symptoms in your day-to-day -day life and help you to feel better uh, and live a more normal life. There's also some medications that can help. They're very patient-specific. So this is something you have to have kind of individual conversations with your doctors to try and see which medications might be right for you. Um, some medications that work for one patient uh, have negative effects for other patients. And so sometimes it can be some trial and error and figuring out what works for you. So that is essentially it. That is the topic of POTS. We've had questions on POTS a lot. I've covered it in various podcasts in small bits, uh, but we decided to dedicate a full episode to it. 
And you can see why, because it is hard to try and explain this stuff verbally. Uh, and ultimately, if you are suffering from POTS, the thing you're going to need to do is find a healthcare professional who specializes in the area of POTS and help them to guide you through the programs and monitor your progress. And really the big thing that I can't stress enough is to stick with it. Even when it gets hard, you have to push through because that is where um, the benefit lies. So I hope this has helped and that's it for me. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Just one more thing before you go. This episode is brought to you by the Complete Concussion Management Clinical Network. Are you suffering from concussion symptoms that just aren't getting better? Maybe you're in the wrong place. Maybe you're seeing the wrong healthcare professional. Visit completeconcussion.com slash find dash a dash clinic to find all the local professionally trained concussion rehab individuals in your area. Each of our partnered clinics have gone through extensive training on concussion assessment, management, diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation. Uh, they're going to work with you to try and find the root cause of your symptoms and then develop a treatment plan and approach to help get rid of them. If you don't know what's driving the symptoms, you can't ever help or hope to fix them. Completeconcussions.com slash find a clinic. They have a 98% patient satisfaction rating and have a higher net promoter score than Amazon, Apple, and Netflix. Completeconcussions.com slash find a clinic. You will not regret it. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.